Hello, welcome to my podcast, my near-death experience, the day I went to heaven. My name is Ron Shambo, and I am your host. First, let me say that I really didn't want to do this. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a preacher. I'm actually a very private person, but as you'll hear later, I was told to, quote, tell your story in a visit that we'll go over later in this podcast. I resisted it for many years. I wasn't sure how, where, or even what to say or do. I was told that, quote, the words will be given to you. First, a little bit about how this will work. I'm just learning how to do a podcast, and truth be told, wasn't even sure what a podcast was or where you would even find one. I will do my best, and I will try to make it a worthwhile listen. You see, I had a near-death experience, an NDE. It was an event that changed me in many ways, emotionally, physically. I have a greater appreciation for life, a stronger sense of purpose, and I certainly have become much, much more spiritual. In my podcast, I will tell my story for the first time, and I will interview others who have experienced an NDE. I'm so grateful to be able to share my story and promise you, I promise you that everything I say is true. My only goal is to tell my story in the hope that it might help and inspire others to do the same and to live their lives to the fullest. We absolutely have to change the landscape and empower people to speak and without judgment. So whether you are a skeptic or a believer, I invite you to join me on this journey into the world of near-death experiences and the possibility of life after death. So let's start with what is a near-death experience? Well, according to Google, it is an intensely vivid and often life-changing or life-transforming event which often occurs in tandem with a serious physiological condition like a heart attack, trauma, interruption of brain activity, or even deep anesthesia that results in awareness, contact, or the reception of contact, which should not be possible under physical and psychological conditions. Wow. (laughs) Now there's a mouthful. To me, near-death means simply You died or almost died, and you came back. It's that simple, I think. I have to say that I didn't always believe in NDEs and really don't know anyone who had been touched by one. At least that's what I've always thought. As far as life after death or heaven, I would have to say I always had a spiritual side and always believed in a higher power, but I had a bad experience in my church that caused me to wander a bit, visit other churches, and even other faiths. You see, after I got divorced, I turned to my church's priest and was chastised for not being willing to, quote, try and work it out. I was told that I could no longer participate in parts of the Mass and some of the sacraments, and that my children, well, their fate was sealed. Not a very supportive or loving kind of reaction. It certainly had an impact on my faith. 
Now, the bigger question, how often do NDEs occur? I've seen reports that say up to 27% of people who have had a life-threatening event like a heart attack, accident, surgery issue, and the like, experience an NDE. Now, given that that number of events are almost 2 million a year, that means that about 540,000 people just in the U.S. alone have experienced an NDE last year. I never imagined that it was so prevalent. Yet most people never say a word, even to family, close friends. Is it fear of rejection or being labeled a nut job? Is it the feeling that it must have been the anesthesia or treatment of some sort? Few people, and I am one of them, talk about it or admit it even happened to them. Even to their own family, their spouse, their loved ones. I would like to change all that. We need to make it okay to talk about it. We need to understand that it's been happening for millennia. Let me tell you what happened to me. First, some background information. I'm a father, a husband, a grandfather, an uncle, and I've been divorced and remarried. I'm 65 years old, and for 32 years I have worked as the senior sales representative for a large wine and liquor wholesaler. I've been very good at my job and I've never had a drinking drug or psychological problem requiring hospitalization. In fact, hard to believe, but I don't drink at all. Not at all. I love my wife and my extended family and enjoy my life. I've always felt the drive to give back and have donated time, meals, clothing, and hundreds of thousands of dollars to those in need. I grew up in a large, very religious family, going to church weekly and attended Catholic school. I was an altar boy and even went to altar boy camp at six or seven years old. My life has truly been an incredible journey, except for one traumatic event in 2013 that radically changed my life in ways I never could have imagined. You see, in January of 2013, I was at a weekend wine event at a casino and had an incredible dinner with friends at a five-star restaurant. As I returned to my hotel room, I felt nauseous, sick to my stomach, as I took the elevator to the 12th floor. Soon after I entered my room, I became violently ill and spent the next several hours suffering from vomiting and explosive and painful diarrhea. It was so bad that the neighboring room actually called the hotel desk. They sent the hotel security up with a paramedic to my room. Now that wasn't embarrassing, right? They suggested I get transported to the hospital, but I decided to call my wife to pick me up. I ended up in the emergency room with an intravenous line and fluid for dehydration antibiotic and something for the nausea. Well, several hours passed and I started to feel better and I was told that I had diverticulosis, I think they called it. They told me to see my regular doctor immediately and I did. 
started feeling much better. Fast forward now to April, and I went home early on a Wednesday afternoon from work and put myself to bed at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I put my CPAP machine on as I was feeling short of breath. And then just before 4.30, I called my doctor, and they told me to come in first thing in the morning. Well, my wife stayed home from work and drove me to my appointment. I looked terrible. I felt even worse. And I was immediately taken into the exam room. And my doctor started to feel my right side. Well, when he did, I literally punched him. I was in great pain. And he told my wife, quote, you need to get him to the emergency room ASAP or I'm calling an ambulance, unquote. Her reply was that she would get me there fast. The doctor said that he would call ahead and let them know we were coming. I was in tremendous pain and felt myself on the edge of passing out. We got to the emergency room drop-off, and I went in and was told that someone would be with me shortly. I stood in the waiting area for a short time and felt like I couldn't breathe. And I walked over to the triage door and said I couldn't breathe and was ready to collapse. Well, they took me right in, and they gave me something for the pain. And I said I'll trade that for some oxygen. They applied. Several hours passed, and I had a number of tests, but was told that they were going to keep me overnight. They wanted to retest me in the morning. Well, obviously, I had a miserable night, started sweating profusely, and in the morning, the doctor came into my room for a consult, checked my vitals, and asked why I was never given the antibiotic that was ordered. She touched my right side, and I screamed in pain. She said, quote, he needs surgery now. She was certain it was my gallbladder. My temperature was 104 and climbing. And little did I know that the race to save my life had begun. During the initial attempt, they tried to do the procedure laparoscopically. Well, when she saw the gallbladder, it was little more than a sludgy nub. I was dropping into respiratory arrest and she had no choice but to cut me wide open to remove the gangrenous tissue while the anesthetist tried to revive me. It was at this point that I left my body and saw the operating room and the frantic attempt to save my life. I moved like a beam of light till I descended on an amazing sea of green, but never actually touched the ground. A woman approached me and said, Welcome, Ralph. I knew in an instant that it was my mother-in-law. How I knew I really don't know or pretend to understand, you see, I had never met this person, as she had passed away from cancer 20 years before I even met my wife. I was certain it was her, though, a younger her. I asked, are you my guardian angel? And she quickly said, no. You are here and safe now. Then she asked me if I would go back. She said, my family needs you. My daughter and grandkids need you. Well, this was confusing, and I turned and noticed a pure white light in the distance, surrounded by what appeared to be fire. It was different, and there seemed to be no fuel or nothing was being consumed. It was powerful, but mesmerizing, and I found myself just staring at it. 
it threw off a very comfortable warmth. There were angels everywhere. So, so many. I saw at least three different sized beings moving about at a very high rate of speed. They would accelerate to a blur and disappear. It was then that I saw Jesus. He was moving about the vastness and about the people and angels alike. I felt peace and a sense of happiness, I guess, like I never imagined. He looked at me, smiled, and said, Welcome, you are home. His arms were open, and he seemed happy that I was there. His gaze warmed me, and it seemed to heal all of my pain. I didn't feel any fear. I wasn't lonely. It was incredible and incredibly peaceful. And there were so, so many angels. Some were very small, like a child. Some were about the size of a large person. And then there were others that stood as tall as a giraffe or bigger. They clearly were guardians of some sort, as one stood on either side of these enormous gates. These angels, thousands and thousands of them, seemed to be able to contact each other in the fire. They bowed to Jesus when he passed them. It was then that a child approached me and said, Hi, Dad, it's me, Will. I knew in an instant who it was. Tried to hug him, but he moved away, saying, It's not time. He added, Tell Mom I'm okay. It wasn't her fault. That was emotional. Even now, it causes me to tear up. See, my first wife had gotten pregnant before we were married and had a miscarriage. I guess she wasn't over it after all. I turned back to my mother-in-law and asked her what I should do. She said, it's your choice. Not decision, but choice. Still don't understand fully what she meant by that. As I stood there, it was so bright, so beautiful, and I just knew it was perfect in every way. I didn't want to leave. I, I truly did not want to leave. I was actually happy to be there. I looked for others I might know, friends, family, even famous people, but none approached me. It was like they knew what I could do before I did. Oh, I have to mention the color. By the way, I'm moderately colorblind. The colors were deep and bright and unlike anything I had seen before or since. They were bright, sharp, and really very warm. If that makes any sense, I don't know. Maybe it just it was they were just incredibly bright. It was then I turned to her again and I said, I'll go back. And before I spoke another word, I immediately started to fall through an opening that twisted and turned until I found myself back in the operating room. So it was much calmer, and the doctor was stapling my chest. It was amazing to watch as they worked like a machine. I felt myself falling into my body, but everything went dark as I fell. I was afraid again. 
I didn't know what was going to happen or what my fate would be. It seemed odd that I felt no pain. Was I paralyzed? Would I live? Would I die? Would I be able to walk? How about speaking clearly? What would my face and body look like? Too much unknown to deal with. But I was so, so tired. I fell back into darkness. The next thing I was aware of was the doctor's light scanning my eyes. The light was bright and painful, much different than my experience in heaven. There were nurses doing vitals and tests and beeps and annoying noises all around me. I felt the tubes in my throat for the first time, and someone was saying, Open your eyes, Ron. Can you hear me? I was overwhelmed and don't remember much as I just had drifted off to a dark place of strange thoughts and sounds. I felt the sensation of drowning and a feeling like I made the wrong decision not to stay in heaven. I was afraid. I was very afraid. The next time I can recall, they were trying to remove the tube that was making me breathe. I coughed and felt real pain. I mean real pain for the first time. My chest felt like I was going to explode. The doctor talked to me trying to explain what had happened. And all I remember her saying was, you are strong, you can beat this. Again, I fell back into the dark, like someone was pulling me back, pulling me to a bad place, evil. I can't say that it was hell, but it wasn't fun. It wasn't safe. And there was so much darkness, so much pain. I was really scared. I'm not sure how much time went by, but the next time I woke, I had a doctor checking me and asking me questions. He said they were going to take me for an MRI and that a nurse would have to accompany me. On the way, she said, quote, they want to check to see if you had a stroke because your left eye is partially closed. Well, we arrived at the machine and they moved me into position on the table. For what seemed like hours, they adjusted, turned, twisted me in every which way, bolstering me with pillows, pads, all of which was incredibly painful. I was crying, and I felt my stomach churn, and I felt the urge to have a bowel movement for the first time in over a week. You see, I'd been in a coma for seven days. Well, as luck would have it, I soiled myself. And it was disgusting and even more painful. I was crying out in pain and asking them to stop. Just stop. My voice was weak and difficult. And as they cleaned me up, they just kept twisting me in more awkward and painful positions and attempted to complete the test. Well, I finally got to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. I mumbled that I was done and wanted it to stop. I had no tears left and felt at peace with my decision. The nurse tried to console me and told me, quote, if you don't do this, you will die, unquote. But I was fine with that. I'd seen the other side. I was being selfish and I just wanted to go home. 
I still was halfway in the machine when suddenly I felt presence and then a touch. They spoke to me and said, please, my family. It was her. She was asking for my help. I asked, how long would I have to stay? But I got no answer. I saw her face and the look went right through me. She needed my help and hoped I would keep my promise. I paused for just a split second, and I continued the test. The nurse asked who I was talking to, and even had a specialist come in to see me, because they must have thought I was crazy, or delusional, or maybe both. She said I was having a conversation of sorts while inside the MRI machine, but no one else was there. But she was mother-in-law was. Well, I hadn't had a stroke, and I was on my way to recovery. I was awake now and able to ask or actually mumble for food. I had pancakes and quickly threw them up all over the bed in the ICU. Oh, one of the nurses was a girl I knew very well from high school. She had been to my house on several occasions, and I to hers told me the story of my battle and that I had gangrene and septicemia and was in very bad shape. I'm not sure that I was fully able to understand, but was very tired and drifted back to sleep, only to be awakened by my mother-in-law once again. She seemed happy I had decided to stay and asked if I needed anything. I asked her how long I would live and would I be an invalid? She told me she couldn't say, but she would return and tell me about some things that I needed to do and said that would be my mission. I drifted off to sleep once again, but this time it didn't seem so dark and scary. I was happy to be alive and looked forward to seeing my wife and kids. As good as I felt emotionally at this point, the reality of my illness was starting to sink in. I felt incomplete and very thirsty and tired. My wife came in to see me and brought a mirror she thought I asked for. I took it, looked at it in disbelief, and knew that things were not good. I wasn't sure I would ever be normal again. I didn't sleep much that night. Till I had another visit. I felt her before I saw her, and she wasn't alone. An angel, a very large angel, was with her. She told me what she needed me to do and when the first event would happen. I trusted her and God, but worried I might not be up to the task. Suddenly she was gone again, and I was left with lots of in the morning, the nurse came in and opened a curtain that brightened the room with natural light. For the first time in nine days, I felt a feeling of hope. I asked if I could have help shaving and washing up so that when my children came to visit, you know, they might see me as getting better dad instead of fighting for his life dad that had lost 41 pounds and looked like he had been up for days and not showered or shaved. Well, they sent in a man, uh, his name was Raul, I believe, with a godsend. 
She shaved me, helped me wash up, dressed me, combed my hair. He would tell me about his life and how he had overcome adversity. I felt great. I realized just how weak I was. I had trouble speaking, could barely move, and the worst thing of all, I couldn't understand what the clock on the wall was for or how it worked. I was almost 55 and couldn't tell time. This proved to be a major ongoing issue. It really upset my son, and every time he would visit, he made it a point to try to help me figure it out. It really was frustrating and confusing to me and to him, but I love him so much for his determination and how hard he tried to help his dad. I even asked if they could move the clocks from my room, and not, not possible was their response. Well, my wife and kids visited often, and I could see in their faces that they felt a little bit of cautious relief. It was effort well spent. I think I even smiled. Not easy when you've been a human kingfisher for almost two weeks. Well, I continued with my recovery and started physical therapy, relearning to walk, and felt somewhat confident in my progress. What I wasn't ready for was the guilt. Not for what my family went through, though I knew and understood that it was bad and I was sorry for that. No, I felt terrible guilt for not wanting to come back to heaven and then not wanting to fight for my life anymore during the test. This would become a year-long issue for me that required some help and guidance from professionals. They also helped me deal with what to do about the message told to me by my son Will from my ex-wife. You see, we had a very difficult relationship as time went by, and I still have not delivered that message. Yes, maybe I just did do the podcast. And if so, if you're listening, I honestly hope it brings you some peace. Even through everything we have been through over these years, I, I still would never want to cause you any pain. I hope you know who you are. Well, I was moved to the CCU, the critical care unit, and the cardiac unit had a visit from the staff psychiatrist. He asked, quote, who is the president? I don't know. What year were you born? I answered, 1865. When was your first marriage? I responded, 1942. What time is it? I responded, 9-20-30. Well, it wasn't. He stopped and said, maybe we can try this again tomorrow. Well, tomorrow wasn't much better. It felt like there was an empty hole in my life and in my memory. I became obsessed with what had happened. I wanted to know everything, not realizing how painful it was for my family to relive them as I continually asked for more and more details. I'm so sorry for the pain you must have caused. I truly am, and I'm just incredibly grateful for you all. I want to thank my wife and children appreciate all you did and have done for me while I struggled to walk and talk again. I struggled with my breathing and speech and relearned how to tell time. I'll never be 
get that hope to make you proud of today. Well, my mother-in-law has visited me more than 40 times and delivered to me a list of nine things that I would need to do before I would die. The list is deeply personal, so I will only share number one, three, four, and seven, the only ones that have been completed. The first was one, you will save your mother's life, a big one. So a year almost to the day after my illness, my parents were on their way to mail their tax return when a cable contractor truck ran a red light and hit them head on. The Lincoln Town Car they were driving was totaled, and both were severely hurt. God was watching over them as a state policeman who was just a few cars behind them called for Lifestar as soon as he saw the wreck. There was also a nurse from the hospital she would be taken to who was one lane over from them that jumped into action and worked to stop the police. It was serious, and for the next 21 days, my mom was in a coma and fighting for her life. I flew to Florida the next day and stayed for several days watching over her and her care for like 16 hours a day. She had several surgeries and never did much more than a little squeeze of the finger now and then. My brothers and sisters were amazing and for the first time in a long time, we all pulled together for a common cause. I regret that old habit seemed too easy to fall back into, and I really should tell them how I feel. I love them all, and I appreciate them immensely. My father was in bad shape, but refused much more than minimal medical attention. He felt a great amount of guilt and was very angry at the table truck driver. Each week I would fly down for a few days before flying back home for work. On the 19th day, I talked to the doctor and was told that she was no longer responsive and he was concerned that she was giving up and might not make it. I jumped the next available flight to Orlando with my wife, rented a car, and drove almost two hours, arriving at the hospital at 2 a.m. When I arrived, I talked to the police officer that was in the emergency he let me go up to see her under the guise of you know, saying goodbye. I went into her room and the lights were low and the sound of her heartbeat on the monitor and the blip on the screen just didn't feel as strong as it was the last time I was by her side. But I was there with a purpose. I did not hesitate to bend over her bedside with all of the passion I could muster. And with a sense of urgency, I whispered, quote, You better not quit on us. Your family needs you. And you taught us that we never give up fighting. So knock it off and fight for your life. For a moment, I thought I could have said it maybe a little nicer, but then told myself that, you know, she needed to hear this. Is this my first mission? Well, we had our miracle, and the next day she opened her eyes. By the end of the second day, we were told that she would be moving to the CCU, where she continued her miraculous recovery. Within a week, she was at a rehabilitation hospital, 
and a few weeks after that was ready to go home. Not 100% to be sure, but well on her way to a full recovery. Since then, she has driven herself up and down the eastern seaboard several times to visit family and friends during her summers in Connecticut. She's 87 years old today. A true blessing and a true miracle. Sadly, my father passed away a few years later, having never really been the same after the accident. My father was a religious man and attended Catholic school and attended church every week for most of his life. He donated substantially to the church, but at some point after this accident, he stopped praying or attending church. I wish I could know why, and I hope to ask him that someday. My mom has confessed to me that my father rarely told her he loved her. He bought her many expensive gifts over the course of their life together, but not much of what she really wanted most, love. My father's father, Pepe, was not a nice man, but they didn't have much contact with each other for some of his life, and in a lot of ways he became what he hated and continued his father's abusive hatred. Their accident brought me back into my parents' life after many years of little to no contact, and I'm thankful for that. Number three, a new grandchild is there. Well, my mother-in-law told me it would be a girl who would have a spark and would do great things. I was told not to tell anyone of my purpose, my mission. Well, my healthy, beautiful granddaughter was born in April of 2017. I would be there to support my beautiful daughter through all of it. A true joy, <laughs> my granddaughter truly has a spark. Number four, a friend would need you and you will help save his life. I received very little information about this until two weeks before the event. She returned and said, be ready. That was it. No additional information. And I started getting nervous. Two weeks later, she appeared again saying, today is the day. Again, nothing more. I stayed up that night, kept my phone close. It rang, and he asked for help. Now, normally, I would never have received that call because every night my phone is turned off, and I don't turn it back on until the next morning. Well, that would have been too late. He is fine today and doing well. Not because of me. I was only the vessel because of my mother Number seven, before your father passes, he will tell you that he loves you. Well, this was a tough one and hard to even imagine, as my father was, well, not the best man I ever met. I can honestly say that he never once said he loved me and was, how do I say, um, very strict and often unreasonable. We had not talked in years, but were reconnected after their accident. I was even able to forgive him, and that was my mission. Not to hear it, but to find it in me to forgive. At my parents' 60th anniversary party, 
my father, sickly as he was at this point, told me that, quote, I am so proud of you, and I love you. I was speechless. It took a second or so to occur to me that only half of the guidance had been fulfilled. I left the party, got into my car, turned to my wife and son, and said, that's the last time we will see my father alive. He died three months later, two days after Christmas. We didn't see him again until his viewing in the casket. Now, there are other mind-blowing items on the list that have happened, and several have yet to happen, but I choose not to share them because they are extremely personal and private. And like I said, some have not happened yet. I know this is difficult to believe, and I know that you might want to know more about the other items on the list. I can only say that everything I have told you is true and that all that has happened has changed me dramatically and that I still get visited by this remarkable woman. Thank you, Joanne. Her love for her family is amazing and complete. A feeling of love fills my body when she visits. And I'm left with a sense of purpose and a smile on my face. It seems crazy to me that she is thankful for me when I am the one that has so much to be thankful for from her. If it's possible to have a friend who you never met and who has passed, well, she is my friend. I think of her and pray for her every night. I thank her for everything and for saving my life and saving my soul. She is definitely looking out for me, and she she really loves her family. She also delivered three simple but incredibly important words one night as I felt her hand on my forehead. I awoke, and she said, you are forgiven. Well, I was confused and realized what she meant. I have to admit that I wept and still do sometimes just thinking about it. You see, I haven't always been a nice person and have done some things in my early years that I'm not proud of. So this message eased my soul and has brought me peace and comfort. I'm grateful beyond measure. I think that now I would like to share some observations and feelings about my time in heaven. Let me start by saying, I don't claim to understand it all, and I don't know why they chose me. Above all, I want to say that God, Jesus, and heaven are real. I saw it. I experienced it. I was there. I felt God's presence, and I actually talked to Jesus. Well, I guess he did talk about it. Now my notes about heaven. First, I feel that everyone appears to you in the way that they want you to see them. What I mean is I don't think we would all experience them the same. I might see someone in their 20s, while others might see them as grandma, grandpa. My mother-in-law has cancer and severe arthritis. Yet the person I see is healthy, if you will, and moved to 
without pain and had a quiet peace and joy about her. She also is very young. Second, clearly all children are important to God, and the saying that he knows you before you were born means that we're all beings in the eyes of God. Will was never born, yet he was there. He had a name and was there as a child and was happy to be there. He clearly was known by God, and I was overwhelmed but so, so happy to meet him, and even happier to know I will see my son someday. I know that somehow, and I'll get to hug him. Third, heaven is real, and it is vast. The sense that it went in every direction further than my eyes could see, with the sense of, I don't know, infinity? I don't know how else to explain it. Fourth, and this will be tough for some people, I saw no animals whatsoever. No bugs, no dogs, no cats. Sorry for those of you that hope otherwise. I hope this one is wrong, but I promise you the truth. And I can't wait to see if others who have experienced an NDE have a different story to tell on this. I really hope they do. Fifth, there was music and sounds, but not like I have ever heard a beautiful and warming, and they seem to radiate pass right through. I can still hear it, but cannot duplicate it or explain it. Sixth, there were so, so many angels, and some of them moved extremely fast and seemed to be somehow guided by the fire. My God, thousands, tens of thousands, maybe more. Seventh, Jesus appeared as a human, but I can't explain it. And I can't say I understand it, but was God-like. And in a word, just pure love. Looking at him filled my soul with warmth. His love filled me completely, and his gaze filled my heart. Thinking about it still does. Eighth, I didn't seem to be able to touch anyone. Not sure if it was because I was destined to return to my life, but I would have liked to have hugged my mother-in-law and my son. Ninth, I moved, but I didn't sense that I had to do anything, like walk to do it. I can't really explain it, and I don't understand it. I believe in God, Jesus, and faith. I am at peace and know that prayer works. And the only way to find true peace and happiness is through God. I no longer fear death, and I hope to share my message with those who are reaching the end of their time in this life and moving on to the next. I was told, quote, there's more than one way to get to heaven. My sense was it meant there is no, quote, one true religion. Tough one to hear, I know. We have to realize that priests, ministers, rabbis, imams are not the church. Many, even most, are good people doing God's work. We should.
thankful for that. But God is the judge. Don't let bad actors or people who corrupt the faith for the wrong reasons turn you from God's church. Finally, when we attack another faith or church, we are attacking God. We should all think about that. God is love. God is love. Well, that's all for today's episode. In future episodes, we will discuss the meanings of some of these events. We will visit with others who have had NDEs. We will meet and ask questions with a psychologist with a lot of experience with people who have had NDEs. And we will talk with at least one religious leader who will tell us their thoughts and feelings about this subject and what the Bible, Torah, and Quran say about them. I really want to thank you for taking the time to visit my podcast. It was an amazing journey for me, and I hope it was a pleasant story for you as well. I'm grateful for all those who have listened to my podcast and who have shared a small journey with me, and I hope you have enjoyed it and found it interesting. Until next time, have an amazing life and remember that you are important and valued in the eyes of God. Don't let anyone or anything diminish your faith. God bless. If you would like to tell your story, please email us at mynearedeath at gmail.com or go to our website myneardeathexperience.com